This is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. Welcome to our show. This is your Weekly Dose of Wellness. I'm Deborah Howell, and today's guest is Dr. Gary Feldman, Medical Director, Stramsky Children's Developmental Center at Miller Children and Women's Hospital, Long Beach. Dr. Feldman completed his residency in pediatrics at Red Cross Children's Hospital and University of Cape Town in South Africa and worked in primary care pediatrics for five years prior to moving to the United States in 1999. Welcome, Dr. Feldman. Hi, thank you. Pleasure to have you. Uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, is one of the most common childhood brain disorders in the U.S. According to the CDC, about 11% of children, 4 to 17 years of age, that's 6.4 million kids, have been diagnosed with ADHD as of 2011. That is, that is an astounding figure. Indeed it is. You know, um, in, the, in the field that I work and um, that's kind of what my bread and butter. And um, one of the challenges, uh, one of the so some of the myths that need to be dispelled about this condition, especially the terminology. Mm-hmm. Because people will say, you know, you use the term ADHD, and then they'll say, no, I'm talking about ADD. Essentially, just to clarify, you know, ADHD is now the sort of the unified, uni- universal term, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay. Just like if we had to say, you know, talk about ice cream. You might say, okay, ice cream, but, uh, you know, what flavor? Right. In a sense, ADHD comes in different flavors. You know, you, know, you could say vanilla or chocolate or Neapolitan. So vanilla would be, say, the equivalent of ADHD with a subtype inattentive type. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other variety would be ADHD hyperactive impulsive type. Okay. And then uh, you can combine them and say ADHD combined type. So the term ADD is, is an older term which is no longer used, but it's helpful just to dispel because sometimes people can say, hey, I'm talking about ADD, not ADHD. Right, my child right, right. Is, is not hyperactive. Right, it's the as umbrella long as term. Qualifier, it's fine. Okay, so what are some um, of the signs and symptoms then of ADHD? Well, the uh, first thing is to understand is it's a neurobiological disorder. So it's not like there's a blood test for it. So you essentially what you're doing is you're looking at the child's behavior. Mm-hmm. When I say child, it can affect adults as well. It's across the age spectrum. Um, so it's essentially observation. So if you're talking about uh, inattentive type, these kids primarily will have difficulties with focusing. So for instance, they can uh, they they not can have difficulties with close attention to details. They have difficulty sustaining attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're easily distracted. If you ask a child, you know, go pick up your toys and then go and brush your teeth, they might uh, start picking up their toys and end up playing with their Legos and then end up uh, doing something else. They just can't follow through on instructions because they get so easily distracted. Right. And this really has an impact when they're at school because with all the goings on in the classroom, distractions are so high. These kids, you know, they're, they're like little Pac-Mans. They're here, there, and everywhere. They just can't, can't focus on what they have to do. And they can right. be incredibly forgetful, you know, losing their sweaters at school, losing items. If you speak to parents with kids with this kind of ADHD, um, they'll say, "Oh my gosh, don't talk to me about this. These kids, you know, keep losing stuff." Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you can get the, the other, the other, the hyperactive impulsive type, which is um, these kids generally are like they have a little engine inside of them which never, never turns off. They just keep going on the go, on the go. They're hyperactive. They're running around. They can't sit still. They fidget. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be impulsive. Um, they can blurt out in the classroom. They talk excessively. Uh, have difficulty waiting their turn. Uh, those, those are the sort of cardinal features. And um, 
it basically, it's something that has to be persistent. In other words, the symptoms have to be there for at least six months on an almost continual basis and have to be in existence um, under the age of 12 years, at least for the students. Um, and the other thing is that you've got to look at it and say, well, a four-year-old kid is naturally going to be hyperactive and sure. impulsive. So, gee, does every four-year-old kid have ADHD? Right. So it's got to be in the context of where they are developmentally. So the symptoms have to be sort of in excess. So it's very difficult to diagnose ADHD in a four-year-old who may be extremely hyperactive, but as they grow older, the symptoms may, if you like, consolidate and become more obvious, which usually happens kind of when these kids start elementary school. Mm-hmm. So kindergarten, grade one, you might start to see that the symptoms of the emergent become uh, more uh, significant. And, and when I say significant, essentially, it's got to affect... It's, these symptoms have to be present in multiple situations, so like at home and at school, and it, it has to it has to affect the quality of life. So it could be affecting your academic performance. It could be affecting your social life in terms of in how you interact with your family and friends. Mm-hmm. Or if you're older, you know, it may affect sort of your, your occupation or your job performance. It must make parents crazy when they have a four-year-old like that, and and all the doctor can do is say, "Well, we don't know yet." Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but, you know, the implications of the diagnosis uh, uh, are pretty, they're not, they're not dire. I mean, it's, it's just it's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of intervention. So you really want to be sure and you want to you want to let it play out because you don't, the other thing is you don't want to over, over-diagnose ADHD, which is a common pitfall. Mm-hmm. You know, in, 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 in pulmonary medicine, they say everything that wheezes is not asthma. Well, right. in this field, we say everything, not everything that's ADHD is ADHD. Okay. Because you can have kids who eat M&Ms or have some kind of food diet that can be extremely hyperactive and it's got nothing to do with ADHD. Okay. Or a child that's not been sleeping well, or a child that has a medical condition like they may have eczema or something that's really bothering them and it might look like they have ADHD. Mm-hmm. A child that's stressed or anxious because of some kind of environmental stress, their parents are getting divorced or you know, they're fighting or arguing. So you can have the appearance of a hyperactive child or a child that's easily distracted, but that may not actually be ADHD. So it really has, the diagnosis has to be done, made very carefully and with not only uh, a lot of, as much observation as you can, mm-hmm. because you may have a child in your, in your clinic that may have real ADHD, but in the clinic, they, it's a one-to-one situation, they're in a strange environment, they actually may be very still. So you need questionnaires, you need to get the input from the teachers, you need to get the input from family members, and we yes. usually use uh, rating scales to kind of help sort of standardize the information that we get. Okay. Now, in your opinion, what are the reasons why this disorder continues to grow so steadily and so quickly? Great question, and when we say great question, we probably means we don't have good answers. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is a genetic um, component, for sure. Okay. Uh, and generally you'll see that if there's a child with this diagnosis, invariably there's going to be a parent that, that had uh, <clears throat> this diagnosis. But there are other um, trigger factors. For instance, if you're born premature or you're born with a low birth weight, there's a, a high incidence if you were um, exposed to nicotine in utero and certainly mm-hmm. other conditions like um, if you're exposed to alcohol and possibly certain drugs in utero that can raise the incidence of uh, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've had some uh, forms of brain trauma or traumatic brain injury when you were young or a difficult delivery, it's possible. I mean, you can't say that in every case. You know, if, if this has happened to my child in delivery or before that, they're going to have ADHD, but it does increase the, the risk. Okay. So there are, and then there are certain genetic conditions that are associated with uh, other genetic disorders that are associated with ADHD. For example, um, 
uh, what we call 22Q11 deletion, um, uh, like Pierre-Robin syndrome or even fragile Alexis syndrome. Uh, and there's a number of different genetic conditions that have ADHD associated with them. Okay. Um, other conditions, like for instance Tourette's syndrome, often associated with ADHD. Oh, really? The list goes on. So how is ADHD diagnosed? If it's neurological, but I mean, there's no such thing as a, a brain scan that will show definitively that you have it. How, how do you diagnose as a, as a physician? Presently, the only um, uh, means of diagnosing it is by a history and observation. And when I say history, you know, direct questioning, but also rating skills that we use. There are some experimental tools out there, but they haven't been uh, validated sufficiently to be used in clinical practice. When I say experimental tools, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about some specific types of brain scan. So that's mm-hmm. not really considered the um, gold standard way of diagnosing. Gold standard way of diagnosing is really getting as much information about the child's behavior from as many sources as possible. So what are some of the treatment options, doctor, available for ADHD? You know, the, the key word here is multimodal, or multimodal, if mm-hmm. you um, It's essentially using as many um, facets of input as you can. So it's really a combination of behavioral therapies, um, if you like, environmental uh, therapies. So let me explain. <clears throat> so if we, and then, uh, if necessary, medication. Okay. So if uh, behavioral therapies would be really helping or teaching the child um, to become aware of their behavior and to uh, learn to self-monitor, so using checklists. So in the morning, this is what you have to do when you get up. You okay. Do this, do this, and you have a checklist, a visual checklist, and the child has to do each thing and check each thing off so they don't forget, mm-hmm. so they stay on track. If they're in the, in the classroom situation, we might talk about five, five or four accommodations. So these kids may have preferential seating. They may be sitting in front next to the teacher. The teacher may have a secret sign to the child when the child is off the target. They might sort of, you know, have some symbol that the child sees and then bring them back onto track. They may okay. have extra time to write tests. They may, mm-hmm. when they write tests, they may write tests in a quiet place. I mean, there's multiple interventions that can be done in the classroom environment. Okay, that's good. Teaching parents and empowering parents to help these kids uh, with their behaviors. Um, and then, you know, medications are a tool, and um, I mean, I think that's what one has to stress is it's a tool, it doesn't cure, it's merely, I use the analogy of if you're driving in the snow and you could have a car that has 4x4 traction control and all the bells and whistles, but they eventually will stop you and say, look, you need change because you're doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a sense, the medication is like chains on on wheels, just gives you that extra traction, doesn't solve the problem, it just helps get momentum as you use the other intervention techniques as well. Okay. Uh, just to get the job done. So tools and techniques and, you know, behavior monitoring and, and encouragement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, just there's another a, a concept about ADHD that just uh, occurred to me that has, that I think uh, it's fairly new, which I think is important for the listeners to know about, and that is executive skill deficit. Say it uh, again, please. Executive? Executive skill deficit. Okay. So executive skills essentially is part of your it's kind of your neighbor for where they think that ADHD takes, you know, where the ADHD is um, the problem in the brain where ADHD exists. Mm-hmm. Executive functions essentially, um, it's like in the olden days where you had a switchboard, a telephone exchange, and the person, you can imagine the person taking the wires and plugging them into the yes. different little yes. sockets. Well, that's what your executive functions are really doing. Like, they deal with how to organize and prioritize, um, deal with focusing, sustaining attention, how to monitor what you're doing, what 
functions is are, are, are the difficulties that kids actually have in ADHD. So there's a very close crossover. So when one's talking between executive skill deficits and ADHD, so when one's talking about treating ADHD from a behavioral perspective, you're also trying to teach these kids how to improve and enhance their executive um, skills. Okay. And there's a whole new field of science that's emerging regarding this. And so, um, uh, you know, the interventions, uh, so if you can help kids enhance their executive skill functions and also um, improve their um, ADHD function. So new treatments, new interventions, and uh, possibly some new drugs on the horizon. So there is a lot of hope. And I want to thank you so much, Dr. Feldman, for coming on the show today. I, it just seems like we just have touched the topic. So I hope you can come back and we can speak more about this. Thank you. Thanks very much. For our soon-to-be moms listening or mothers who have a child with ADHD, can you just tell us where they can go to learn more? You know, there's a plethora of resources out there. I think um, um, a good website to start with is... Um, um, chad dot uh, dot org um, at c h a d d dot org uh, and the c h a d d stands for children and, and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Perfect. It's a good. It's a really good resource. And um, another re- uh, good resource for this sort of executive skill component is um, Dr. Thomas Brown dot com. Okay. Um, and then there's the National Center for Learning Disabilities, ncld.org. And also... It's a very good, uh, I think, very good uh, start. And there's so many books out there. Yes, yes. You know, there's good books and there's not so good books. But uh, these are, these are um, I think these are valid websites with, 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 with good valid information. A great starting place. Again, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Feldman, and your expertise. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Sure, you're welcome. Thank you. To learn more or to listen to a podcast of this show, please visit memorialcare.org. I'm Deborah Howell. Join us again next time as we explore another weekly dose of wellness. Have yourself a fantastic day.